Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Well, I'm really excited to be here this morning. Um, before we get going into uh, the message, I'd like to pray. I know Kip just prayed, but I'd like to pray again. Um, so would you just bow with me? Father, um, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have every week to gather and to worship you freely and to learn from your word. And I pray, especially this morning, that you would just give us a ton of wisdom to know how it is that you would like us to apply the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Because if we get it correct and do it your way, um, God, it can be such a gift to our lives and to each other within your church. And if we get it wrong, it can really actually wreak a lot of havoc. So I pray that you would just give us so much wisdom. Help us to really, um, when it comes to putting this into practice in our own lives, really put a ton of prayer and seeking your guidance into it when, we, um, when it comes time for us to put it into use. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, have you guys ever been browsing online and come across like a kind of a quiz in the form of a flow chart that is designed to help you make really important decisions about your life? For example, here's one that I thought was really useful. It is, should you eat that bacon? And there's a flow chart here to help you decide. And of course, the answer is always going to be, of course, you should eat the bacon, right? At the end. How about this? If you're not into sweet or into bacon, but you're into sweets, although most of us, I think, would probably be into sweets and bacon, how about this one? Should you eat a donut? Do you have a donut? Yes or no? If you do not, get a donut and then eat it. If you don't have a donut, or if you do have a donut, yes, eat the donut. Super helpful flowchart for life, isn't it? How about this one? Um, if you're in a situation and you're an introvert like me and it's awkward, you can ask, um, is it awkward? No, then go ahead and stay. If it's awkward, is there free food? then you might want to reevaluate your decision. You might want to actually stay. How about the next one? Wash it or wear it. A handy laundry day flow chart for busy families. You don't have to read all of it, but the gist of it is basically this chart gives you permission to hardly ever wash anything if you don't feel like it, which is kind of nice, right? How about the next one? Uh, this one's for you who are, who are my age. Um, is it the 90s? No, then stop. If it is, yes, stop, hammer time, or collaborate and listen. Oh, come on, guys, give me a laugh. That is kind of funny, isn't it? Ice, ice, baby. My son has been listening to Vanilla Ice, and he's like, why is he called Vanilla Ice? And my uh, husband explained what his real name is, and he's like, oh, I think Vanilla Ice is a better name for a rock star. And then if you are not even a human, like let's say you're a wizard in Middle Earth, they even have flowcharts for you. Here's a Gandalf problem-solving flowchart. Like, do you have hobbits involved or not? It kind of leads a wizard through the basics of how to go ahead and make decisions. But what if you live in the regular world, you are not in Middle Earth, and you have a situation that is far, far more puzzling than whether or not to eat bacon or do your laundry. Like for instance, what if you have a friend who is making what appears to be a really, really bad decision? And that's our topic for this morning. I have a friend who is making a really foolish decision. What should I do about it? For example, what if you have a friend who is investing in some sort of um, multi-level marketing scheme and you're pretty sure it's a scam? Like, what do you do? Or what if your friend is dating somebody that you're like, that is not a good choice for my friend. 
Or what if you have a married friend who seems to be getting really, really overly close to somebody who isn't their spouse? Or maybe you have a friend who keeps posting things online and you're like, ugh, you just shake your head in concern, like what is that person up to? Or maybe you have a friend who's approaching the topic of preferred pronouns in a way that you think they should or shouldn't. Maybe you have somebody who has a lot of explosive anger and you can see it taking um, a big toll on the people around them. Or maybe the situation even hits a lot closer to home. Maybe the person making a foolish decision is your own child or your own spouse. Like, what do you do if you see your spouse spending so much time at work that they hardly ever see you guys at home? Or maybe they actually are home, but they're just kind of emotionally absent because they are always on a screen of some sort and they're checked out. Or what if you're, you do, uh, what do you do if your high schooler is just never turning in their assignments? Or your adult child is like really mismanaging their money? In short, like what do you do when you see a friend or a loved one going in a direction that you are pretty sure that they are going to have regrets about later? Do you say something? Do you just kind of hope for the best, you know, cross your fingers that maybe they'll just come to their senses on their own? Do you get all up in their face and tell them how dumb they're being? Do you say stay silent because you don't want to rock the boat? I mean, honestly, sometimes it's like it feels awfully hypocritical um, to speak up when I have plenty of my own junk in my own life to address. I don't always feel even remotely qualified to offer advice to others when I got my own stuff. I mean, and I don't want to be a judgmental jerk, right? I mean, people already think that Christians are judgmental. We don't want to add fuel to that fire. So what do we do in situations like this? And more importantly, does the Bible have anything to say about how we address a friend or family member who is doing something that we think is pretty foolish? Now, I realize that real life and real relationships are far more complicated than any silly flowchart could ever address, but I would like to offer us kind of a framework to work within when it comes to approaching this kind of situation according to the Bible. And speaking about the Bible, I think that is really the first question that we need to consider. So if this, if this flowchart were to be titled, I better use the darker one. Um, let's see, my friend, um, no bueno. I say a situation you don't want them to do. First question is, um, does God share my opinion according to the Bible? I think this is, and I'm going to put according to the Bible. And I think that this is like a really good first place to start because um, we need to figure out if God's feelings match my feelings on the matter. Uh, and one answer to that question might actually be no. <laughs> um, if I'm being really honest, there are some foolish decisions that I think other people are making that are really just my opinion. And if that's the case, I think it's best to just leave it alone. I know I have a tendency in my own life, particularly with people that live in the same house as me, to kind of act like my preferences are a moral issue instead of just my own opinion. For example, I would never actually say that it's like a sin to leave dirty dishes in the sink overnight, but sometimes I act as if it were, like the other person has some deep-seated moral deficiency because they do not do things the way that I would. Now, it might seem really foolish to me to leave spaghetti sauce crusting on a saucepan for nine hours, but honestly, that is really just my own opinion. Um, a more serious example of, of this kind of situation. 
I was once in a Bible study where uh, there was this woman who was expressing her frustration with her daughter because the kid was just constantly forgetting stuff at home. She wasn't doing her assignments. She was not doing the handful of chores that she was asked to help out with at home. And my ears perked up when I heard this lady emote her frustration because I too was doing a fair amount of yelling and nagging in my house at that time with my own kids. Um, now the lady who led that Bible study, she was actually a licensed counselor and she just very kindly spoke up and said, you know what, in my years of practice as a counselor, I've learned that some people's personalities just thrive more when they have reminders. In other words, what she was said to the mom was, you know what, maybe your kid's not being bratty on purpose. Maybe she just needs help remembering things. And you, as her mom, you can either keep expecting her to remember and then get really, really angry when she doesn't, or you can just choose to help your daughter out with some reminders here and there and save your relationship. And the leader pointed out that sometimes we just really need to let go of our own preferences in order to have a better relationship with somebody that we love. I mean, sometimes the wisest thing that you and I can do in a situation when we disagree is to just go to God, say, is this really your opinion or is it just mine? And if it's not, we just need to maybe humbly admit that, you know, my way's not the only way and move on instead of getting upset or offended. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, I'm not saying here that, you know, it's not like, like you should never talk about preferences within a relationship or have give and take or compromise with each other. But what I am saying is this. It's probably really foolish to take offense or make a mountain out of something that God would really call a molehill. You know, if God is not upset about something, then I'm like, really, who am I to be? It takes wisdom and it takes humility and a certain amount of selflessness um, to distinguish my own opinion from that of the Lord's and then act accordingly. That takes maturity. But I know for myself that my relationships um, experience a whole lot more peace and joy when I do this right. So if the answer is no, um, best thing maybe is to just leave it. <laughs> leave it be. Now I realize though that there might be situations where you're like, does God share my opinion according to the Bible about this foolish choice that my friend is making? And the second answer might be, I don't know. <laughs> now, if that is the answer um, to the first question, I don't know, um, if that's the case, the best course of action, um, I suggest, would be to seek out what God actually says is true. And I believe that the best way to do that is to read the Bible. Um, because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. Other translations say all scripture is breathed out by God and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. You know what, you guys, there are millions and millions of books in the world written by human authors, some that include really great advice, but we only have one book from God and that is the Bible. And this entire thing is God's words, and they are useful to teach us what is true, to correct us where we're wrong, and to show us the right thing to do. So if you are unsure what to do or how to think about something, whether it's regarding your own life or it's regarding somebody that you really, really love and care about, I just really encourage you, read the Bible. 
um, you and I can humbly ask our good, wise God to see things the way he does, and not just from our own limited perspective. So we can say, you know what, God, what do you say about marriage and sex and parenting and friendship? After all, God, you're the one that came up with the idea of all these good things, so you certainly can teach us how you intend us to use and enjoy them. You know, what does God consider to be wise and right and good? What is his opinion regarding things like work or politics or relationships or all the moral issues that our culture debates and disagrees upon? You know, we kind of live in a time right now um, where we are often encouraged by pretty much everything around us to, you know, live your truth. Live your truth as if simply believing something to be true makes it so. And I just got to say, that's not biblical, nor is it even logical. You know, something else we're often told and people embrace is, be true to yourself, follow your heart. And sometimes we forget, quite frankly, that not all of our desires of our heart are good. I know that what I want is not always right, I mean, I, I can think and desire some pretty messed up things. I would make a very lousy, lousy God for myself. You know, the Bible warns us against a follow-your-heart attitude when it says things like this in Proverbs 14. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Jeremiah 17 actually says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Now, those verses would be incredibly bad news for us if we were left to lead our own lives, to just follow our hearts and do whatever seems right to us. But thankfully, we have an alternative that we can put far more confidence in because if indeed this book really is a book of words from God himself, the God who made us and the God who loves us, then we can depend on this to teach us what is actually good and true. Because, um, as one author put it, I love this quote, I just came across this recently, this author said, we must determine what is true before we can determine what is good. That's so true, right? We must determine what is true before we can determine what is good. Um, here's a quick example. Decades ago, we were told, or people were told, I guess a lot of us weren't alive back then, but people were told that smoking was perfectly healthy. Even doctors said so. Here's some of the ads that they put, on, uh, put out in magazines and stuff. Why physicians call our new brand a health cigar. Now we know today, after years of collecting and studying the data, that cigarettes and cigars are actually quite harmful for us if we engage in them for any length of time. But countless people made bad decisions to smoke cigarettes based on information that was false. We must determine what is true before we can determine what is actually good. And the most reliable way to determine what is true is to learn from a God who knows all things because we do not. Now, if you are unsure what the scriptures teach, I really encourage you to ask for help from somebody that you trust, somebody who has like a really, not only a really good knowledge of the Bible, but somebody who also submits to the authority of the Bible in their everyday life. But at the same time, as you ask for help, if you feel like you don't know the Bible well, I just want to give you a little encouragement. God wants you to understand this book. He gives you the Holy Spirit 
to help you understand it. And I want you to remember that there is not a single Bible scholar who did not start out at square one, him or herself. I mean, even the best Bible teacher in the world had zero knowledge about this book at one point in their life. And they grew from no knowledge to where they are now. And you can too. Anyone can study the Bible and get to know it better, just with some time and effort. And the more you read it and the more you look at what it says, the more you will understand it and grow to understand God's heart and be able to more quickly discern whether God shares your opinion, whether it's a no, an I don't know, or perhaps a yes. Yes, the Bible clearly teaches that my friend is walking off a cliff. So I would say here, if you don't know, the Bible is the answer. And from there, the answer might be, no, God does not share my opinion after I've examined the Bible, or yes, God does share my opinion after a careful examination of the scriptures and my best attempt to prayerfully understand it. Now, let's say that the answer is actually yes after you do your homework and you come to the conclusion, yeah, I really think that God, this breaks God's heart and this is not God's best for my friend. The next question that we have to ask, I think, is, it's a complicated flowchart, isn't it? Is my friend a follower of Jesus? And the reason that um, this is a super important question is that the Bible seems to make a distinction about how we are to proceed based on the answer to that one. Is my friend a follower of Jesus as well as I am? So let's start with the answer, no. Let's say, no, my friend does not claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For that, we're going to go to uh, 1 Corinthians 5 for some guidance. Uh, 1 Corinthians was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote under the Holy Spirit's inspiration to a church in Greece that was, let's just say they were really on the struggle bus. Um, they were dealing with all sorts of stuff that was not right. And Paul points out at one point in that letter that inside their own church, there was a man who was sleeping with his dad's wife, his stepmom. And Paul said, I do not understand why this is going on. This is something even unbelievers wouldn't do. And then he chastises them, he corrects them, because he had already instructed them in a previous letter that he'd written to him that we do not have in the Bible, not to associate with someone within their church who had insisted on continuing to sin as a follower of Jesus. But the problem is the Corinthian church didn't do it the right way. He had given them instructions. Instead of dealing with the junk inside their own community, those Corinthian followers of Christ ignored the sin inside the church, and instead they just cut themselves off from people outside the church, unbelievers who were sinning. And they're like, oh, we're doing a good job. We've cut ourselves off from those unbelieving sinners outside the church. And Paul said, no, you have got it completely utterly backwards. Here is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I was not talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or who cheat people or who worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. It is not my responsibility to judge outsiders. Again, outsiders referring to people outside their church. God will judge those who are on the outside. In other words, Paul says, you know what? Don't judge people who aren't followers of Jesus Christ. 
because God is perfectly capable of handling that himself, and he will do a far better job than us because he's perfect, and he knows people's hearts, and we are imperfect, and we do not know people's hearts. So if you have an unbelieving friend who is making bad decisions, don't pull away from them. Just stay friends with that person. Love them. Pray for them that God would get a hold of their hearts and draw them to himself. Be gracious and be humble because you know what? We too are sinners. The only difference between a follower of Christ and somebody who's not is that we have been forgiven and adopted into God's family and that was through no merit of ours whatsoever. That was all Jesus doing. It was not ours. So there's no place for us to ever be arrogant or self-righteous. I mean, we of all people should be humble and gracious because we know the truth about our own sin. Um, a few weeks ago, there was some video footage circulating online um, of a well-known artist performing a song at the Grammys. And maybe you saw it, maybe you saw a clip of it like I did. It was a man who was dressed up as kind of like a, a character of Satan. And then he was... Um, there's some dancing going on in the background that was pretty disturbing. And my kids didn't see the video, but they heard about it. And um, they were like, why would somebody do something so bad? And that provided an opportunity for us to talk about how we, as Jesus followers, how does God want us to respond to things like that? Because you know what? Paul was right. To avoid such things, we would really have to leave the world. And one of the passages that I read with my kids was 1 Timothy 2, where Paul says this. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks, to the, or give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And originally I'd only put those verses, but I, if you see the font change, that's my fault. Nobody's back there because I changed my mind a lot. It says, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, that is the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. You know what, that artist who performed on the Grammys, Jesus gave his life to purchase freedom for that person, just like he did for me and just like he did for you. And the proper response um, when we see somebody who is far from God doing something that is far from God, the proper response is to pray. We prayed for that singer that day. And we can pray with, um, for, or pray for anyone else that we know who is far from God. Pray that they would repent and that they would humbly turn to God so that they can receive grace and salvation and forgiveness just like we have. Praise God that that is how he treated us when we were far from him. Uh, Romans 5 says of us, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He did not wait for us to get our act together or clean ourselves up. He took us just as we are, and he forgave us. 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, I am so thankful that this is how God treated me. I am so grateful for his patience and for his invitation that he gave to me to turn away from my self-destructive sin and to turn toward him so that I could be forgiven and become his daughter. I am so thankful that Jesus is a friend of sinners, sinners like me and like that artist at the Grammys. 
and like any of my loved ones who are making a shipwreck of their lives. When an unbelieving friend is making bad decisions, we are not to drop them or judge them. We just stay friends. We love them. We pray for them. We keep following God and ask him to use our example to show our friend what a life of joyful obedience to him looks like. Basically, we do what Paul said in Colossians. He said, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. All right, so my friend is a follower of Jesus. The answer is no. Ooh, that's bad handwriting. The answer is no. We are to pray. We are to love. We are to be humble. And I'm going to put etc. <laughs> All right, now we need to move on to what if our friend is a follower of Jesus? What if that person who is making some real foolish choices that God definitely um, says are not helpful or good for their lives, what do we do if they are a follower of Jesus and they're doing these things? Um, oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. I forgot one thing that I'm going to add before we move on to the yes. I want to add one more thing that is important for us to remember when we are loving people who are not believers. This is really important, so I don't want to skip it. First Peter 3 says, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So do not worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing what is wrong. Now, Peter, when he wrote this, he was writing to encourage people who were being very, very severely persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Uh, we American Christians, we are not being persecuted like those first century Christians were. But I believe uh, Peter's words are still really relevant to how we live in our culture. Because these days, Christianity is no longer seen as a good thing by everyone. And the Bible is no longer accepted as authoritative truth by the majority of people. Um, in a follow your truth, uh, live, or follow your heart, live your truth kind of society, followers of Christ are sometimes accused of being intolerant or phobic or harmful for holding to biblical teaching, even to the point where you and I might feel tempted to distort what the Bible says in order to feel more comfortable amongst those who disagree with it. And Peter tells us no matter what, even if you suffer for it, just keep your conscience clear before God. Worship Jesus as Lord of your life. And do not worry if mere humans disagree with you because God is the one that we please. If others have words to speak against us, let it only be in criticism of how closely we live according to what God defines as true and right and good and loving in this book. Now in that same letter to the Corinthians that we read earlier, here's what Paul says about the issue. He says, People who are not spiritual, and by that he means people who do not have the Holy Spirit because they are not believers yet, people who are not spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. They can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual, who have the Holy Spirit, can understand what the Spirit means. 
Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. In other words, Paul says, first of all, unbelievers are not always going to see things the way that you do. In fact, God's ways might seem downright foolish to them at times. Second, as a follower of Christ, you are not accountable to other people. They don't evaluate you. God does. And then third, the Holy Spirit inside of us will help us evaluate and discern what is true and good according to God. And that means in the process of loving your unbelieving friend, do not fret if they disagree with your biblical convictions. Um, despite what our culture insists, you can actually love somebody quite well without affirming every single thing that they do or think or believe. Um, many years ago, there was this pastor who said something that was relevant back then, but I think it's even more relevant today in 2023. He said, our culture has accepted two great lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, then you must fear or hate them. And the second lie is that to love someone is to agree with everything they believe or do. Both of those are nonsense. You do not have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. All right, so just to recap, if you have an unbelieving friend making bad decisions, stay, love, pray, keep being faithful to God, be humble, um, knowing that you and I um, ourselves have been rescued from our own sin. Okay, now with that caveat, I skipped a whole page in my notes. What if the person making a bad choice is actually a follower of Jesus? Well, for the most part, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> I'd say. If you have a friend who is a follower of Christ and they're just really kind of walking off the deep end, stay in the friendship, love the person, pray for them, be faithful to God, and be humble. There is, however, one additional thing that I believe God teaches us to do in this situation. In the case of a fellow, fellow believer, I believe that we do have some responsibility to our loved ones to speak up. Um, here are some verses from the Bible. I'm just going to go through like four of them in a row. Galatians 6, 1-2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share one another's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. James 5, 19 says something similar. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you, among you means other Christians, wanders away from the truth and is brought back again, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Like you're doing your friend a service by saying, I love you, come back. Um, being part of God's family is such a gift, not only because we have God as our Father and His Spirit living inside of us, but also because we get the gift of each other. We are meant to help each other grow. We are meant to spur one another on. We are meant to sharpen each other. Hebrews 10, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Proverbs 27, you've probably heard this before, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Ephesians 4 says, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, 
we, the body of Christ, will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is at the head of his body, the church. Now notice, Paul says we are to speak the truth, but there is a a prepositional phrase attached to that, we are to speak the truth in love. Why is that? Why are we to speak the truth in love? It's so, like it says there, we can grow in every way more and more like Christ. Like we have a responsibility to one another as brothers and sisters in God's family to not just silently stand by and just like, you know, cross our fingers and hope for the best while another member of the family wanders off into some sort of destructive sin or starts believing lies. We need to love each other enough to bravely speak up. Gently, of course, and with humility, absolutely, and prayerfully, too, asking God for wisdom and the right words to say, and lovingly, because we care about each other. I read from 1 Corinthians 5 earlier, where Paul was addressing a situation where a person in their church was caught up in a really destructive, yucky sin. I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you, but to summarize, Paul had some very, very harsh words for them. Um, He told the Corinthians that as a church family, they basically needed to cut off their relationship with that guy for a time as a means of encouraging him to come back to God. And I don't have this here. I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 5 on your own. It's It's pretty rough, to be honest, but he says, here's what Paul actually says, his actual words. You must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. And then he, I'm going to go to the verse that we did read, but I didn't read all of it to you. It is not my responsibility to judge outsiders, those outside the church, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Now, first of all, hearing those words, I want you to breathe a sigh of relief because these are not universal instructions for every situation when a Christian messes up. So if you're walking out of this building and you or your friend trip and you let some colorful words fly because you skin your knee, you do not have to like draw, you know, drag somebody back in here and say, you know what, that's it. We're handing you over to Satan. You are done for. Paul is just, he's dealing with a situation where there has been an ongoing unrepentant sin that no one in the church family had the chutzpah to go and address. However, I do think that even though we don't have to go that far to that extreme that Paul is talking about, within our own church communities, we do need to let go of the notion that we should all just mind our own business and focus on our own problems and stay quiet when one of our own is wandering away from God. There is a time and place to judge one another as followers of Jesus, not judge as in point the finger and self-righteously say, you really, really stink. And by the way, I do not. That's not what God is talking about. We are to judge one another within the body of Christ as in wisely evaluate each other's lives and care enough to say something when somebody is stuck in sin. Judge as in evaluate and speak up. Now, is it uncomfortable to speak up? Absolutely. But is it worth it to courageously and humbly approach a friend who is struggling? Absolutely. What's really cool about that situation in 1 Corinthians 5 is the fact that we actually do get a glimpse 
of the end of the story in 2 Corinthians. This is a later letter that Paul wrote, and he comes back to that situation of that man, and he tells us what happened to the guy when the church followed through with his really, really tough instructions. Paul says, most of you opposed him. You did what I said. You, you cut off your communication with him for a time, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to bring him back and reaffirm your love for him. You know, the whole purpose of addressing that man was to restore his closeness to God again. To discourage him from going any farther down that path of self-destruction. The, the judgment, we often are so afraid of that word. The, the judgment that they, they applied there was done out of love. Even if it might not have felt very loving at the time, either for that guy himself or for the people in the church who were doing what Paul instructed them to do, it probably didn't feel very loving I'm sure that everyone was more than a little uncomfortable in the process, but it was for his good because they cared about him, because they cared about his soul more than they cared about his happiness at the moment. And you and I, we need to do this for each other too. Although, like I said, it usually doesn't have to go to quite that extreme. Oftentimes for us, it looks like just something really simple, like sitting with a friend over a cup of coffee and saying something like, hey, you know what, this feels so awkward for me to bring up, but I really, really, really love you. And I've noticed that you seem to be struggling a bit. I really care about you. Is there anything that I can do to help? Can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Is there anything that would make your life easier so that this thing that you're struggling with doesn't look so tempting? You know, you and I, as believers, we can prayerfully come to God and say, God, Help me know what to say and trust the Holy Spirit to guide our words because I think God intends for us as children to be a community of people who love and trust each other and who are humble enough both to give and to receive truth that is spoken with love because we really care about each other. And that is all I have for you this morning, so let's pray. Father, I prayed earlier that um, you would give us wisdom in knowing how to apply this in our own life and our own relationships. Um, because um, it is a tricky, hard situation to approach somebody that we love who is struggling and to speak up. It takes courage. Um, it takes humility. It takes a lot of love. But I pray that if we ever find ourselves in those situations, that we would love each other enough to be courageous enough to speak up, that we would be iron that sharpens iron to each other, and help each other as we seek to pursue you and pursue godliness and to become what you desire us to be. I just pray, Father, for you to cover with your grace and your mercy um, any situation that arises out of um, this message, that you would go before those who speak out of love and those who receive, that they would take it as being given with love. And I pray for all of us that when we are on the receiving end of words like this that are maybe tough to hear, that you would just help us to be so humble and not to see it as an attack, but to receive it with gratitude that somebody loved us enough to speak up. I pray that we as your children would um, be courageous and faithful to you and that you would help us to rely on your word and the Holy Spirit. 
um, to put into practice the things that you teach us. We pray this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.